This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. So, the song talks about waiting, but it doesn't say just sit around and do nothing. It says, I will serve you while I'm waiting. I will worship while I'm waiting. I don't very often um, get up and say that God spoke to me or told me something, uh, just kind of directly. But I'm going to declare that this morning, um, that God said something to me last weekend and that he said it to me because he wanted me to give it away to you. And he wanted us together as a family here at City of Refuge Thomaston to embrace what it is that he said. We were in a worship service at the retreat last weekend in North Carolina and the young man, Josh, who was leading the worship came to a point where things got kind of quiet and he just lifted his hand and he said, um, I want us to just wait on the Lord. And when he said that, I knew that not only had Josh said something to the 400 or so people that were in the room, but God had said something specifically through Josh to me about us here. And I felt sort of a little bit of a sense of scrambling uh, recently and trying to figure some things out and just um, dealing with a little bit of uh, turmoil around, uh, you know, just what's in my own head about the ministry here. And God just, again, through Josh's voice, and God speaks like this a lot, you know, if we're paying attention, he might say something to us through somebody else or through a song or through a... Uh, reading something or whatever, he said to me through Josh's voice, wait, just wait. And so I started to process that through and to think about it and pray over it and to dig around in the word, which is what I think we should always do. And I realized that wait, as I said, does not mean sit around and do nothing. Waiting is not about wasting time. It's not about being idle. Waiting is an attitude. Waiting is a mentality. Um, So that we work while we wait. And we work with a great sense of expectation about what's coming that we have not yet seen while we wait. And we serve and we have an attitude and a mentality of waiting while we serve. If we do not have the attitude of waiting while we serve, then we're just serving to achieve the immediate result of serving. And that is so that whoever we're serving is blessed and so that we are fulfilled because we served. But there's more to it than that. Hopefully people, the people we serve will be blessed and hopefully we will have a sense of fulfillment that we've been serving. But the more is that we should be anticipating and expecting and waiting on 
what God is doing or going to do on down the road as we continue to work and serve, but to wait also in the process. So, Isaiah 40, 31, I shared the scripture to open service. They that those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Um, is that, is that um, encouraging to anybody in here today? Does anybody feel like you could stand to have your strength renewed a little bit? Well, notice it doesn't say that we should go to church only and expect that our strength is going to be renewed because we have an expectation that the pastor, the preacher, speaker is going to say something that's going to offer some renewal of strength to us. Perhaps it will, but that's not the expectation we should have. And it doesn't say that we should only pray and ask God to do stuff in our lives or pray and ask God specifically to renew our strength. God, will you renew my strength? Well, God's answer to that prayer, if it's coming from an obedient son or daughter, is always going to be, of course, I will renew your strength. But often what's attached to that answer, of course, is you're going to have to wait on me. You're going to have to wait on me. Well, why in the world would God require us to wait for his blessing? Why would he require us to wait to have our strength renewed? To wait on any favor that he might have to give to us? And the answer to that is pretty complicated, but you can, you can break it down by saying that God may need for you to wait because he knows that you're not ready for what you're asking for. You're not in position to fully maximize the blessing he has for you right now. You're going to have to wait for it. You're going to have to mature some. You're going to have to obey a little bit more and at a little bit deeper level. You're going to have to grow up in your spirituality, in your relationship with him. Because God is only going to give us what he can trust us with. If God if you claimed a blessing came from God, if you claimed that God gave you something, answered some prayer, and then on down the road a little bit, you did the wrong thing with that, you mishandled it, misused it, were irresponsible with it, the answer to that is you may have given God all the glory for having it, but he's not the one who gave it to you. And this is a big mistake we make sometimes is that we accredit God with things that didn't come from God because we've been taught a false doctrine that says that is, if it is a financial blessing, if it amounts to an increase in finances or stuff, it came from God. That's not necessarily true. Are we naive or ignorant enough to think that the enemy can't give us stuff, money, if he knows it's going to serve as a distraction that's going to keep us from really seeing clearly 
the path that the Father wants to lead us down? Of course he can. That's what he's always done. That's one of the most common methods used by the enemy is to bless us with, with materialistic gain because he knows we're going to declare, oh, God, bless me, but we're not in position to handle that appropriately or properly, and we're not going to do the right thing with it. And so it's a distraction. It's not a blessing. It doesn't say any of that. It says those who hope, this version of NIV says hope in the Lord, those who wait on the Lord, those are the ones who will renew their strength. Those are the ones who are going to mount up with wings like eagles. In other words, they're going to rise above the junk, the circumstances, the distractions, the lies of the enemy, and they're going to live their lives in relationship with God through His Holy Spirit in a way that is over and above all the junk that stands in our way in life. They'll mount up, they'll soar on wings like eagles, and they will run and not grow weary, and they will walk and not be faint. And as we prayed earlier, and as we're talking about now, I know that we have people in the room that have been feeling like their strength is drained out to the last. And they're feeling like that they are as weary as a human being can possibly be. And they're feeling like that they are most definitely faint. They are without energy, without strength, without motivation. My brother told this story at the retreat, and I'd heard it before, but um, about a guy who was grossly overweight and out of shape, and and he was sitting in his room one night, and and he had had it was late at night, and he had eaten a couple of cheeseburgers and some unhealthy food, and and then he laid down, and then he started having chest pains, and he went to the emergency room and had had a mild heart attack, and it clicked something for him, and he said, you know what? If I don't change something, I'm going to die. So he made one of the most radical changes I've ever heard of so that within a couple of years, this guy is running marathons and competing in triathlons and connects with another uh, physical uh, extremist, a nutcase you might call him, who said, hey, I have an idea. Let's compete in uh, five full triathlons in five days. Do you all know what a triathlon is? That's a marathon where you run 26.2 miles. That's then getting in the ocean and swimming two miles. And that's then riding a bicycle, how far is it? 112 miles. That's doing all of that in one day, repeated five days in a row. They didn't make it. It took them six and a half days. So it's a phenomenal story. They wrote a book. But one of the things that the guy said, which we all need to understand, not because of the physical application of it, but because of the spiritual application. Science proves that physically, when you get to the point that you think 
that you have completely exhausted yourself of every ounce of energy in your body. You cannot do another thing. You cannot move another muscle. You know in your brain that you're done. At that point, you have only used 40% of your capacity. 40%. So if you decide you're going to contradict and go to war against that thought that you're finished, and you press on in a little bit more and press on in a little bit more and press on in a little bit more, you can actually come up with 60% that you have not yet used when you think you're done. So how does that apply spiritually? We may feel like we're weary and we're finished. We may feel like our strength is completely gone. We may feel like there's nothing else we can do. We're so overcome with discouragement and despair that that's it for us. And you know, I mean, imagine the number of people who have gotten to that point and have given up because that's how they felt. They said, I'm just not going to try anymore because that's how they felt. I'm just, you know, it doesn't seem like God is showing up here doing anything and I've prayed and I've gone to church and I've paid tithes and given offerings and I've done what I know to do and it just doesn't seem like God is showing up and my problems continue to magnify and to get more and more complicated all the time and I'm just finished. I'm weary, I'm worn out, I'm faint and I can't go on. I'm so discouraged there can't be any level of discouragement any deeper than the one I'm in right now. I propose to you this morning that you've probably only reached about the 40% level of what you actually can manage. And if you give up now, oh, the light and the hope and the transformation and the blessing and the revelation and the encouragement and the word and the spirit that he has for you down the road if you had just continued to serve and to work and to wait at the same time that is sacrificed and is foregone because you gave up based on your feelings. They that wait on the Lord are the ones who will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. So week before last, we started talking about Abraham and the binding of Isaac, as they call it in the Jewish tradition. And it's one of the, one of the most um, interesting and disturbing in a way and profound and, and, uh, and, and confusing Stories you'll ever come across. Why and how God would promise a man a son, and that that would that promise would be fulfilled, and that son would arrive after the man had decided to try to do things his own way for a very long time. Finally, he gets back in line, and once he's in alignment with God and His promise, the son actually shows up. When the man is already old, why would God do that? And then once the boy is in adolescence, why would God come to the man and say, I want you to take him to the mountain and build an altar and light a fire and put him up on it and sacrifice him? Why? 
And what makes the story even more confusing is that Abraham immediately and without argument and without question, without a lapse of time, simply says, yes. If God said it, I'll do it. And you know what I saw in this this week? After having had the Lord speak to me on Saturday at Jesus Jam in North Carolina and say, wait on me, what came to me was that I got right back in the middle of this story and I saw Abraham saying yes, continuing to walk, continuing to go, continuing to serve, continuing to give, continuing to work, but at the same time having a tremendous sense of expectation about what God was going to do. So you know that Abraham is not focused on the element of the possibility of his son burning up on an altar. Abraham is focused on what is it that God's going to do in this situation. See, where where would our minds go? God says to me, load Riley, Riley up on a donkey. We have a donkey. We could do that. Load him up. Take him up onto, what's the name of this mountain right over here? Hagen's Mountain, build an altar, tie him down, and roast him for my glory. Where does my mind go? Where would your mind go? My mind would go to the roasting. Right? My mind's going to the what? You gave us this job because I believe God gave Riley to us. Y'all know him, believe it or not. I believe God gave him to us. Uh, We did not need another child, nor did we necessarily want another child. And when Tracy came to me and said, guess what? We both curled up in the fetal position for about two weeks, non-functional. You want to talk about being robbed of your strength and being weary and faint. I was 41 years old and I was tired, not to mention her. But boy, the minute he arrived, we realized this child was sent here to provide a level of joy and a level of uh, energy and a level of light and brightness and a a sort of a balm, a healing balm that, that helped us to get through a very painful time with one of our other children. So when, when we find out mama's going to have number seven, Where our minds go to is the hardship, the the finances, the the time, the energy. Oh, my Lord, we're just starting to get through all these multiple hours on ball fields and at scouts and all over the creation of school activities and projects and doing homework and and all this kind of stuff and tending to a baby and a toddler and whatever. And that's where your mind goes to. When maybe we ought to position ourselves to where when God blesses us with something or God sets something in our path that we see it as God has something bigger. God has another another lesson to teach. God has another blessing to bring. I can't see it right now. I most certainly do not feel it right now. But I'm going to trust Him and I'm just going to say yes. I'm just going to follow. I'm just going to be obedient. 
And so Abraham just says yes. He's not focused on the fire. He's not focused on the butcher knife. He's not focused on losing his son. He's focused on the Word of God. But you know what? This is not Abraham's first go-around with this. Because I don't think, I think if Abraham was 25 years old, and he's got his child, Isaac, with him. And God comes to him and says, I want you to take that child to the mountain and sacrifice him. I'm not sure Abraham. As a matter of fact, I'm quite certain that Abraham would not have been to just automatically and immediately say yes. But here's what's happened with Abraham is that for many, many years now, he's been saying yes. When God came to him and said, hey, I want you to uproot your family and everything you've got from your homeland and I want you to go somewhere else where you've never been before. You don't know anything about the people. You don't know anything about the place. He's like, well, yeah. You're not asking me to give up my family at this point. You're not asking me to sacrifice a child at this point. He doesn't even know anything about that. You're not even asking me to give away all my money and all my stuff. You're just asking me to make a move. Make a move. Get up. Do something. Why are people so afraid to do something different? God's always compelling and challenging and calling people to do something different. You know, we get stuck in church life where it's always the same old thing and people don't want to do anything different. We've gotten questions as, as recently as this week about why don't we go back and do the same old thing we used to do? Well, because I don't want to. Because I'm kind of enjoying the newness and the freshness and the life that's in the new experience, the, 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 the thrill and the, the, the challenge and the, the excitement that goes along with the new thing that he's calling us to. So Abraham says, yes, you know, I'm taking my family with me, I'm taking my stuff with me. And so they make the move. And then God comes to him again and says, I want you to do this. And he says, yes. And then God comes to him again and says, hey, I want you to do this. And he says, yes. And each yes is built on the previous yes. This is the process of discipleship. This is the process of maturity. It's a process of growing up in our relationship with him. And each time we're, we're able to say yes because we've seen the results of the previous yeses. And so we go and we work and we do and we serve and at the same time we're anticipating and expecting what God is going to do down the road. So when it comes time for Abraham to respond to God when he says, I want you to take your son Isaac to the mountain, doesn't give him any explanation, doesn't offer any addendums to it. He just says, I want you to take him, I want you to go. I want you to take materials to build an altar. I want you to take materials to build a fire. And I want you to take your son and go to the mountain. And I want you to sacrifice him on an altar to me. And he just says, okay. Okay. Because I know what you did back there. And you called me to do something that was confusing. I didn't get it. I didn't know what was going on. But I did it and I saw what happened. And then you called me to do this thing over here, and it was confusing. I had a lot of questions in my head, but you know what? I saw what happened back there, so I was able to say yes to this. 
And then I saw what happened as a result of that. So when I got over here and you did, you brought something up that seemed really outrageous and I didn't get it at all, I just said yes because I saw what, you happened, in the, saw what happened in the previous yeses. And the, so now you're asking me to take my son to the mountain. And let me tell you the evidence. Here's the evidence that Abraham had full and complete trust that God knew what he was doing. It's when they get to the foot of the mountain and he's got a couple of servants with him that helped him get all this stuff to this point. He looks at those guys and says, y'all stay here. The boy and I are going up on the mountain to worship. And we will be back down when we're finished worshiping. We. What does that say to you about where Abraham's focus was? Hey, it ain't in the... It ain't in the, my own imagination and wherever it flies off to. This is about God's plan. This is about God's word. This is about God's work. This is about God results, not what's in my head. My responsibility is to hear and to obey what I've heard. And I'll leave everything else up to Him. See, because when you think this way, if you're going to let your imagination run off with you, what your imagination is going to see is that you're going to go up on the mountain, you're going to lay the boy down there, and all of a sudden God in brilliance and glory is going to show up. He's going to pick the boy up and place him back in your hands and say, here, I've seen your level of obedience. Or... You see him going up there and actually putting, tying the boy down on the altar and taking the knife and cutting his throat and watching him bleed out and then burning his body before the Lord and then seeing the Spirit of the Lord show up in all his creative glory and putting his hand on that burned up corpse and raising it back to life in perfection and newness. That's what's going on in your head is that God knows what he's doing a whole lot better than I do and God is going to produce God results which I could never produce even if I tried. We will be back as soon as we're finished worshiping. So he just says, yes. And so every yes in Abraham's life was accompanied by a spirit of waiting. While I'm going, I'm waiting on God to show up. While I'm working, I'm waiting on God to show up. While I'm doing i'm waiting on god while i'm worshiping i'm waiting on god and all my faintness and all my weariness and all my loss of strength and all my discouragement and all the problems that life has has piled up on top of me i have to deal with it i have to live through it i have to i have to walk and i have to understand that life is filled with hardship sometimes but I'm going to do that consistently saying yes and waiting for Him to show up and reveal the next part of His plan. So it comes after a lifetime, lifetime of obedience. Abraham's an old man now. Abraham has said a lot of yeses in his life. He also has his, his own interference it's always in the forefront for him to remember and to think about and to gauge his next decision on because he knows that when he 
Anytime he has interfered, the plan has gone off the tracks. Anytime he's tried to insert his own ideas, his own ingredients into the God recipe, it's gotten thrown off. But anytime he has just said, yes, I'll go, I'll do, I'll obey, the result is that God shows up. So he puts Isaac on the altar. He ties him down. He's got the wood ready. He's got the fire, the uh, match is ready to light. And he's got a knife in his hand. And he puts the knife to the boy's throat. And they hear a noise in the bushes. The last second. Last second. Somewhere in the 60% that remains, not in the 40% that we think we've already burned up everything. When we press on through past the 40%, when we take another breath and breathe a prayer that says, Holy Spirit, i got to have you now. Doyle's testimony about his son will stick with me for the rest of my life. How he just looked at him and said, listen, just say, Help me, Jesus, over and over and over. That's what more prayer do you need? Help me, Jesus. I don't have the money to pay that bill tomorrow. Help me, Jesus. I don't know what's going to happen with this sickness, this whatever's going on in my body. Help me, Jesus. I don't know what I'm going to do about this discouragement, this despair that just seems like it's set down on top of me like a wet blanket. Help me, Jesus. Help me. Help me. Help me. I don't know what I'm going to do about my son, my daughter that's out there, and, I, and I'm so afraid. I've been afraid. I've been worried about whether they're going to live or die, whether they're going to end up in prison or, or, or uh, overdosed or whatever. Help me, Jesus. Help me. And we just press on past the 40%, and the 50%, and the 60 and the 70 and the 80 and the 90 and we press on, press on into it. And when you get to 99%, and you've got the butcher knife at the child's throat. It might go to that point, but he's going to show up. You've been saying yes. You've been exercising long obedience in the same direction. The direction to which he's calling you, he is going to show up. My God shall supply all your Needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Help me, Jesus. And that promise, like every other promise offered to God's people, is only offered to obedient sons and daughters who are consistently saying yes to whatever it is he's calling us to. So, two things to finish up with. One is Corporate, the other's individual. On the corporate level, you have to know that we are fully committed 
to saying yes to whatever he's calling us to and to whatever he sets in our path day by day. And we are not stuck on anything except him. Okay? So a lot of y'all probably have felt frustration and aggravation about, are we going to do Friday night or are we going to do Wednesday night? What are we going to do? We're going to do something other than one of those. And why has the communication been so bad here and there? And I take responsibility for all of that. And I know sometimes it feels like we're scattered and disorganized and have no idea what we're doing. Well, um, part of that's because we're scattered and disorganized and have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> Mostly they have no idea what we're doing, but that's the part I'm most comfortable with is that I don't have any idea what I'm doing. That way I, I will never get to the point where I start depending on me. Right? It's like when I was working at this church in 1990 and Sanford Hopkins, the pastor, walked in my office and said, I want you to preach Sunday night. And I said, no. So he's like, well, you can't tell me no. I'm your boss. I said, I'm telling you no. Fire me. I'm not preaching. That's not what I do. He came in the next day. I want you to preach Sunday night. I said, no, no. I came here to sit around a circle with a bunch of kids and eat pizza and talk about the Bible, but I'm not standing up in front of the whole church and doing anything. Maybe pray, maybe take up the offering. I'm not preaching. Came in on Thursday and said, I'm not giving you any choice. You're preaching on Sunday night. Turn around and shut the door before I could answer. I leaned back in my chair, threw both arms out like this, looked up to the ceiling and said, God, I can't do it. And the word that pounded in my chest was, well, I know that. I know you can't do it. That's good news. Because if you know you can't do it, then you'll exercise full dependence on me to get it done. And that's the only way it'll be effective. So I depended on him and preached on Sunday night. And I've been preaching and teaching ever since. It's about him. I don't know what I'm doing. But he does. So I'm going to listen to him and I'm going to do what he says. I'm going to go where he's leading. And sometimes that might seem like we're just lost in the wilderness. But we're going somewhere and we're going to get there. So for us corporately, we just keep walking, listening, waiting, watching, working, giving, loving, serving, worshiping, and waiting with a great expectancy about what He's going to do. Individually, wherever you are, whatever journey He's called you to, Wherever He's told you to go, whatever sacrifice He's asked you to make, here's what you can be 100% sure of. When you get there, He's going to meet you there. He's going to meet you there. Now along the way, you're going to hit 40%. Right? You're going to hit 40%. It's kind of like climbing a mountain. My brother's family went to Colorado a couple years ago. We're hiking up this huge, you know, 12,000-foot peak or something. His daughter got sick, sat down on the side of the mountain, said, I can't make it. Can't go another step. I'm going back down. He said, no, you're not. You're going to the top. She said, I can't make it. She's over here throwing up behind a tree. He said, you're going to the top. Come on, let's go. 10, 15 steps, she'd sit down, I can't make it. Yes, you can. We're going to the top. 
goes like that for two, three hours up the mountain. Get up to the last 15, 20 feet is like that. You have to get finger holds and toe holds and pull yourself up. And he said, all right, jump on my back. Now I'm going to take you the rest of the way. And she said, are you crazy? If I came to this point, I'm going the rest of the way by myself. And she did. So she stood on top of the mountain with the wind blowing in her hair, their hands up, and she had conquered the mountain. When she thought at 40% that she was done. So wherever you are, wherever he's taking you, even when you feel like you've hit 40%, you have to know you can make 45. Keep going. Keep pressing. Keep praying. Keep working. Keep loving. Keep giving. Keep sharing the fellowship with your family that loves you and cares about you and is here to bear your burdens with you. And you'll make it to 50 and you'll make it to 60. And you're going to get to where he's taking you if you persevere. And when you get there, he's going to meet you there. He's going to meet you there in miraculous ways. And man, will it be worth the journey? Absolutely. Y'all stand up with me. Father, it's an honor and a privilege to walk this way with you. To have examples like Abraham to look to. To know that even when the call seems extreme. Even when the sacrifice is overwhelming. Even when the energy level is very low. And we're feeling faint and discouraged. That we know your spirit's there to empower us to take another step, to go another mile, to give a little bit more, to serve a little bit more, to work a little bit more, to worship a little bit more. And we know that you're just going to keep showing up, giving us doses of your spiritual insight, revelation, light on our pathway, wisdom to make another decision. And ultimately, you're going to take us to phenomenal places and you're going to be right there waiting for us when we get there. And you're going to produce powerful God results in our lives. So we leave this place saying, help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Help me to be able to press in, move forward, exercise huge faith, and go past all those places that try to discourage us and beat us down. And we're going to praise you for what you do. We're going to praise you for every way you show up, big and small. Every God result that we experience. We love you and we bless you in your name. Amen.